Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 43. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going awesome. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me now that you're an AMD evangelist. <laughs> yes, yes, the cat's out of the bag. I haven't made an official announcement, but uh, the people, the listeners of the of this podcast will be the first to know that I am now an AMD evangelist. In title only, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, no budget, no support, uh, and very little uh, support, but yeah. Well, hopefully that'll change, and one day you'll be the head of the company. <laughs> I can give well, you all the inside information on when new graphics cards and stuff are coming out. I wouldn't give you information. I'll give you early prototypes. That works, too. Actually, I um, messaged Verizon on Twitter the other day, just giving them a hard time for not giving me a droid phone to play with and review or whatever, but they never responded. <laughs> But, yeah, I'm guessing there you wouldn't be the first. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was hopeful, but I don't know. So far, no one's ever sent me anything to review or anything. But if anybody would like to send me something, you can drop me a, an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, and I can send you my shipping information and everything. And I would love to play with whatever you have. Assuming it's nothing deadly or anything like that. Although, if you have any prototype guns, those are always fun to play with. <laughs> But anyway, a couple of quick announcements before we get into the stories, because we do have a f- one extra story compared to normal. Uh, there is now a Facebook fan page for Global Geek News. So I should have the link in the show notes at some point. Uh, get those. I'll get that in the show notes before I put the show up. But you can now add yourself as a fan to the show, and I'm gonna then you'll I'll use that to alert everybody whenever there's a new show or new post on the blog or whatever, as well as um, the number of followers on the Twitter page for Global Geek News, which is at Global Geek News, has gone through the roof. It's about quadrupled since Friday, which is amazing. So feel free to follow that, too. And it seemed like there was something else I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember. So we'll just go ahead and dive right into the first story, where apparently there's 3% of Americans that believe texting while driving should be legal. Uh, yeah, and I think it's just 3% believe that it uh, it may not need to be legal. So those three can be those three can be either for texting while drivers should be legal, or either apathetic. But it seems like it's one of the really polarizing issue, in which it's very lopsided and everybody doesn't like it. Yeah, it kind of surprised me when I found myself in the 3%. Normally I'd in the minority, but not by that much. I'm kind of amazed that 97% of America could agree on anything, for that matter. Well, you know, I kind of, I'm kind of with you on making a law for it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's an awareness issue. Uh, you just can't be stupid. But I mean, it, it, I, you know, I can't. We keep, I keep saying that you can't legislate stupid, but um, it. There should be just no no room for error when you're driving. You're you're operating a vehicle that's very dangerous, and you need to pay attention to the road. And if uh, if there's something that happens, you should be responsible for it. Yeah. Well, I've always kind of been a bit of a believer when it comes to survival of the fittest. 
So if we get rid of some of the idiots because they run into a light pole while they're texting, well, that's fine with me. Well, as long as the idiots don't run into you while they're texting. That too. <laughs> but assuming I survive. If I don't survive, me, eh, oh well. But anyway, apparently 80% of people think that while talking on the phones is a no-no, it's okay to do it if it's hands-free. Despite yeah, the fact that studies show that's not true. That it's yeah, not a, dis- a distraction is a distraction. If if someone it feels that they're distracted, then you know you feel, you know when that happens when you uh, almost miss a turn, when you almost change lanes when you don't want to. Anything that you do that causes that, you should just stop and don't do it anymore. Yeah, I, I, this article comes from Gizmodo. I kind of like the way that whoever wrote it, um, Matt Buchanan, put it. He said that. I think we should ban eating, drinking, using combs or makeup, overly talkative passengers, which around here seems to be a real problem, so I'd be all in favor of that. <laughs> Any kind of music, which I would not be in favor of. Talk radio, same thing. GPS navigators, same thing. And small children from being in cars. I would be a fan of that one, too. And that would be the best way to have safe driving on the roads. Yeah, yeah, I understand with the kids. I mean, that's why they make luggage racks, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. So this goes into the whole thing. Like, there's, there's, like, so that just kind of goes to my point. Just don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything that's distracting. The minute that you feel that it's distracting because uh, of you're making small, minor mistakes, just don't do it, and then you'll know that it's an issue. I mean, I like uh, talking while driving. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't get distracted when I'm on the phone and I drive. Yeah, neither, uh, neither do it, I. Is there short conversations? They're not like, so what are you doing? They're like, okay, I'm on my way. Uh, I'll go ahead and pick up, uh, you know, food on the way. Or you know, yes, uh, I did fax that report before I left work. You know, just short conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing like long drawn out uh, fights or anything. Uh, and I, th- I think that's all communication while driving. It should be f- your focus on the road first, and and everything else comes is secondary. Yeah. Oh, what amazes me about this story is apparently half of people think that if you get in an accident or whatever for or get pulled over or whatever for texting while driving, they think it should be the same penalty as drunk driving, which seems a bit steep. Yeah, I agree. And I guess if you kill somebody when you're doing it, that's one thing, but... If you just run off the road or something like that because you're texting while driving, I don't think you should have to deal with everything that a drunk driver does. Yeah, it would be manslaughter, I think. I mean, because aside... I mean, text... Like, when you're impaired from drinking, you know it when you're behind the wheel. And you know that just driving, that you're taking a big risk. When you're texting, it's it's bursts, it's moments of... uh, of distraction, so I, I don't think they're the same thing. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most people on here know at this point, but I work for a towing company, so I see these accidents from these different kind of wrecks all the time, and whenever I look at them, I, most of the time I would say drunk driving accidents look much worse than texting accidents. I mean, there are the occasional exceptions. 
but just from the damage of the vehicle, they tend to look a whole lot worse. Yeah. But that's that's just from what I've experienced over the past, oh, I don't know how many years I've been working out there now. But Yeah. It's good to see uh, Americans unify um, under at least one same doctrine. Uh, that's, uh, that's a lot of people. Uh, Five million people... Uh, is a large group in itself also. Yeah, apparently that's how many people have unified to watch the movie Star Trek, but they pirated it instead of watching it in theaters or actually buying it. Yeah, apparently uh, Paramount Pictures uh, watched the whole flow through the internet of their movie, uh, propagated from country to country, language to language, all from six videotaped camcorder sources. Um, and and what they're blaming are not the sites, not, not even really the individuals themselves directly, but the search engines. Yeah, they're blaming Google, Bing, Yahoo, YouTube, and you na- pretty much you name it, that it was the reason why Star Trek was pirated five million times, not including streaming sites. That's just like for BitTorrent and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, how else will, if people want to get it, how else would they get it? Are they selling Star Trek yet? Is it on sale? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's been out for a while, I believe. I think. No, no I don't I'm... think it's, it's not out on DVD yet. Well, hang on, I'm going to Amazon here. We'll find out here in about two seconds. Star Trek. Let's see. Uh, comes out November seventeenth, or at yep. least that's when the. Yeah, that's both the DVD and the Blu-ray. So here in about two weeks. But yeah, apparently they're just kind of like everybody. From the sounds of it, this is part of the whole net neutrality debate because this is just kind of their grievances for the FCC and how with the net neutrality thing they kind of want provisions in there for being able for so that they can make deals with ISPs to go after copyright infringers is basically what this whole story is really about. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of just, I don't know, making it available for people to buy instead of pirate? Well, the argument they try and use is that Content is what makes the broadband necessary, while at the same time, um, it's the broad the broadband that lets there be so much content. So they're just trying to use that argument to an extent to make it seem like, well, if we're not on board, there's no real need for broadband, and there's kind of real no real need for the FCC to regulate it. So you kind of need to do what we want. That that mm. just kind of seems to be what they're the angle that they're coming from to me anyway. Yeah, so they're saying piracy is the thing that makes the internet go faster, <laughs> or, or or period, just the way it makes the pipes go bigger is because of pirated content. I think they're missing the real reason, and that's porn. Yeah, that too. There's plenty of that out there. Yeah, but anyway. Um, speaking of peer-to-peer and torrents and 
all that kind of illegal piracy stuff. Which, by the way, I'm still looking for a name for a piracy peer-to-peer podcast. If anybody happens to have a name, I still can't seem to come up with anything halfway decent myself. But anyway... How about the, the booty cast? Sounds more like a porn podcast to me. <laughs> Actually, there probably already is a porn podcast with that name, I would assume. But <laughs> not going to bother looking that one up. <laughs> anyway, apparently Utort 2.0 is going to be eliminating the need for ISPs to throttle BitTorrent traffic. Which I don't know how many ISPs still throttle it after the whole Comcast FCC issue. But apparently, yeah. the new version of uTorrent, or actually as it's officially known, MicroTorrent, um, apparently it's going to have... I'm guessing it's supposed to be MicroTP, or they've got it spelled UTP in here. Just kind of a little bit strange compared to the traditional UTP protocol. But I guess mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a new implementation, an, an improved implementation of the BitTorrent protocol that's designed to be network-friendly that can detect when there's any clogs of data on the network and then scale down and basically throttle itself so that it doesn't cause the ISP any issues because it's sucking up too much bandwidth. And from what I understand, this is mainly supposed to affect uploads rather than rather than downloads. Yeah, I think this is awesome because I personally had to manually tweak it every once in a while depending on if I needed to change tasks. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to do Netflix streaming, mm-hmm. something like that, uh, that would uh, really bog down the network. I would go and have to throttle back my, my torrent download. But uh, with this, this sounds like it, it'll just basically handle that for me. It'll sense if there's congestion on the network and then throttle back automatically. And then if there is... Uh, the clog is resolved, and it just ratchets it back up. So this just this sounds like it's going to save me a lot of trouble. Yeah, me too. I've, I've noticed lately, especially when I'm doing one of my heavy torrent sessions that I do a couple nights a week, that it seems to where be where my internet will slow to just about nothing. And even if I'm browsing the internet on my PS3, or if I'm going through the PlayStation Network store, or whatever, it makes things very, very slow. And I have a feeling that this is definitely going to help that issue a lot. Yeah, I hope that this is uh, being shared with the other BitTorrent clients, the code, so it can be on a lot of different clients. Uh, Even though personally, uh, uh, MicroTorrent or MuTorrent, I'm still going to call it MuTorrent, is is my Torrent client of choice. As is mine. Generally speaking, I prefer Vu's but I've gotten to the point where uTorrent's just fast and easy and small, so I just use it and as just kind of what I happened to switch to whenever I when I loaded Windows 7 Release Candidate onto the computer. Otherwise, before that, I've always been a Vuz user, or Azurus as it used to be called before Vuz purchased yeah. it. I actually seem yeah. to change names again, but I can't even think of it now. Yeah, I, I, I used Azure for a while, and, uh, or Azurius. Um, uh, but it being a, a Java client, mostly, mm-hmm. it, 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 uh, it had some weird quirks sometimes and would lose connections and sometimes wouldn't even launch and uh, would think that the... wouldn't find the right port to go it out and so it would slow down my uploads. Uh, 
I just had to dump it. It was it wasn't reliable for me. Yeah, I noticed that a lot with older clients, but with the newer ones, that it's improved greatly when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, it got to the point where I used it exclusively, and now I've just kind of gone back to uTorrent because I like having the web interface and stuff. Where if I want to um, alter my torrents and stuff. When I'm not at home, I can do that. But then again, I use LogMeIn anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But speaking of torrents, apparently the Pirate Bay founders have been banned from running the site. Yeah, from a source that has no jurisdiction over over them, which is funny. Yeah, and what really amazes me is right now, the or it seems like all day... Pirate Bay seems to be down, and I don't know why. I'm still trying to fi- figure that one out. But apparently, the Swedish courts have decided that Gottfried Svothholm, I guess that's how it's pronounced, and Frederick Nij, I'm guessing that's how it's pronounced, are banned from operating the site, which I guess I don't think they have that much to do with the operation of the sites anyway, unless they want to f- face a $71,000 fine. And what really is kind of strange here is that neither of them are located in Sweden any longer, and the site isn't even located in Sweden any longer. Last I knew, as of a week or two ago, it was located in a nuclear bunker in the Ukraine or something like that, I think. So they're kind of like overstepping their bounds, and it's not like there's really a real easy way to say that they've been the ones administering the site anyway. Yeah, I think this is just another sign that they just don't get what's going on. Uh, You could probably, uh, you know, lock these guys up for life or or they could get hit by a bus and it still wouldn't affect the site's operation. Yeah, and now that I think about it, I'm not even sure which court case this one stems from. If this is the one from the Breen or IFP or there's so many different ones anymore, I don't even know which one this even comes from but I don't know they, they seem to be having more and more trouble and then last week I heard another story where I guess they've got four new potential people looking to buy the Pirate Bay which kind of surprises me considering the first one fell apart which part of that was the owner of the oh I can't think of global gaming or something or other that was pretty much his fault. But at the same time, the financial backers backed out of that, so I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious to see if any of these four new people would actually go through with it if financial backers the first attempt backed out of it. It's a soap opera on both left and right. The question is, when are... I, I mean, just reading these stories, I'm, I'm getting exhausted and wonder... Um, how they feel. I, I wonder if they're willing to just say, you know what, your war, your war is down, let's just throw in the towel. I just kind of want to know how much their legal fees are at this point. Hmm. It's, it's got to be a million bucks or more, probably. Yeah, probably more than that. Especially when you're talking about Discovery and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's of course on top of their fines and everything as it is. But who knows... Maybe the reason that they're down now is the NSA is keeping a close eye on them. 
or mirroring their site in every torrent. <laughs> they definitely have enough stores to do that. Yeah, apparently they're, from the sounds of it, from what I've heard, they're, the NSA is building a new um, storage place out in Utah. I, I think I saw somewhere that it's supposed to cost like around $1.6 billion to build this place or something like that. Basically, it's they're supposed to store a Yotabyte worth of surveillance data at this new facility. Yeah, the article was updated, and they're estimating that it was more of a, a hundreds, hundreds of petabytes instead of a Yotabyte, uh, exactly. But still, I mean, that's a heck of a lot of storage. Yeah. Well, I guess the Yotabyte thing is just one possibility and it's just more realistic that it's being hundreds of petabytes, but either way, I'm sure that's going to be larger than Google, I would think. Oh, yeah. But it's probably several times over. Yeah. Well, for those that aren't real sure what a yettabyte is, there's a thousand gigabytes and a terabyte. There's a thousand terabytes and a petabyte. There's a thousand petabytes and an exabyte. And there's a thousand exabytes and a zettabyte. And then there's a thousand zettabytes and a yettabyte. So that's a lot of storage. Yeah. But, yeah, that, yeah, that's a lot of surveillance data. So basically, I, they've probably got every conversation that you've ever had or ever will have logged in this building once it's built. Yeah, and it's probably some um, uh, transfer of old material onto new medium for easy, easily search- searchable um searchable conversations or past history so that this could even make it more efficient for data that they already have and just give them the capacity to record more stuff in the future well, that's one of the things that I'm not real sure how that's going to work I mean if you're dealing with a yettabyte worth of information how the heck do you efficiently search that much information if you're trying to pick out like certain phrases for a terrorist attack or something uh, they probably uh, do voice-to-text conversion, then scrub it with uh, an indexer, and then have an indexer for that indexer, and uh, have large uh, virtual caches. That's exactly how they do it. Yeah, I smell a deal with Google here. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Google's probably paying for half of that just to get access to that information. Google probably has all that information. They're probably just taking all of Google's old drives. Right. What do you think Google Voice is? Huh? 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 Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. Glad I don't quite use it that much yet, but... Oh, well. Yeah. But... Well, speaking yeah. of information and what people have about you and information that you might not want out there... Apparently, Britain is in trouble over form with the European Commission due to the privacy aspects of a test that they didn't let the ISP customers know was even occurring. Yeah, this is some sick stuff. Apparently, um, anything that wasn't basically SSL, uh, they were sniffing the packets and unwrapping them and just doing some just downright data mining. Yeah, for those that don't know, Form is a company, at which I believe we've talked about on the show before, but basically they are a company that they have pieces of hardware that the ISPs implement 
that does deep packet inspection on everything that comes across the wire, and all that information that they gather is used for targeted ads, basically. So no matter what it is, your bank stuff, anything, they basically have access to it through deep packet inspection, basically anything that's not encrypted, and they use it for gathering information to sell ads. And apparently that's just kind of a big no-no in terms of European laws. Yeah, and they're saying this whole time that they have not broken any laws and they're working within the bounds of the law. Uh, but uh, I guess we'll have to see if that holds up holds up in court. Yeah, the UK says that they were happy that form conformed to European data laws, but then the European Commission came back and said that form intercepted user data without clear consent, and that the UK needs to look again at the at the Commission's online privacy laws. So apparently, you're not allowed to intercept it with intercept any kind of communication without the user's knowledge, or at least for commercial enterprises. What they need to do is make sure that the company form forfeits this data. They should make sure that the data is erased and deleted, and they should also send out notices to anyone who's affected by this to let them know what's happening. And if the law needs to be changed to make sure something like this doesn't happen again, they should do that. Uh, Because this is totally uncalled for and unfair and a violation of personal privacy. I don't even know how much form is even being used anymore, because first it was kind of done in secret, like these trials were, no one really knew about them. But then once everybody kind of got wind of it, a lot of ISPs dropped it, because they were getting a lot of heat from customers. The I think it was like the CEO of Form left the company, and I think even a couple other board members left the company, as to where it's... I, I don't even know how much it's even around, or I don't even think it'll be around much longer. Just because what they're trying to do, they've gotten such a bad rap for it, there's no way they can stay in business. Yeah. It, I'm with you there, I totally agree. Well, speaking of possible punishments, <laughs> uh, apparently a, some teens are suing a school or punishments for some racy pictures that they put up on MySpace. Yeah, apparently they're sophomores, so they're around 14 years old. And the pictures were set for viewable for friends only. Now, sophomores and are going to be around 16, or at least they are around here. Because when I was a sophomore, I had my driver's license. I was, I was 15 as a sophomore, so I guess it, it all depends. Hmm. Yeah, good point. Um... But it said it was over the summer, so that could be the reason for it too. Yeah, because they could be they would have been you know freshmen going into sophomores, and that's right. probably where the age gap comes. And uh, apparently they're in lingerie having a sleepover, and you know they're they're like uh, using a lollipop in a provocative manner. <laughs> And so they don't know how the authorities or the school uh, got a hold of these pictures. It wasn't during uh, a school-sponsored event. It wasn't referencing the school at all, but yet the school found that uh, that they had a discipline for their actions. Yeah, apparently the two girls are banned from any kind of extracurricular 
activities for these pictures that I guess took place over summer breaks. So they weren't even in school or anything, where they were just having a sleepover in their laundry and supposedly were licking a penis-shaped lollipop. And apparently somehow, and I guess they when they put these pictures up on MySpace, they had them locked down and stuff so only their friends could see them. Well, somehow the pictures got back to one of the coaches in the school, and the coaches, I guess, apparently eventually they ended up getting passed around the school too, but I guess the coaches took it to the principal, the principal saw it and made a big deal about it, to the point that the girls had to apologize apologize to their all-male coaches board, as well as undergo counseling, plus they're getting banned from doing any kind of extracurricular activities. Yeah, it's funny how they want to punish for morality for a pause, but yet they don't want to teach morality in schools. It seems that they that you can't have one without the other. How can you say that that's a violation of proper behavior, but yet not be in a place to give examples of what proper behavior looks like? I think this is something that Maybe if the school did find out, they should just do the proper thing, which is let their parents know what happened. But that kind of discipline is left up to their guardians and not to the the city or the state or the school district. Yeah, it sounds like the ACLU is, gonna, is representing them and going to be taking this all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. But what gets me is the fact that they're making these... They're basically making these girls out to be troubled teenagers, just where they're having them go through counseling and stuff. But at the same time, they're not allowing them to participate in extracurricular activities when studies have shown that extracurricular activities are good for at-risk teens. No sense at all. Yeah, and let the punishment fit the crime, and I don't think that that, that's an appropriate punishment. Um... I mean, we're talking about, what, one picture, maybe two, uh, it, let's say even a handful. They're just pictures, mm-hmm. just and just to their friends. I mean, it's, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. And the coach won't say how he got him. So for all we know, he's just some old pervert that happened to be able to hack his way into MySpace. Yep, yep. So, I, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot of this story that just doesn't make any sense to me for one reason or another. Yeah, I, I personally actually uh, I really don't like the ACLU. I think sometimes they they kind of go too far, but I think this is uh, they're stepping in on this case is is definitely warranted. I completely agree. I, I there's some cases where I'm on their side on, and others I'm not. But this one I'm definitely on their side on. This this just goes way too far. But in terms of sad stories the next uh-huh. story is supposed to be sad but I really don't think <laughs> it's all that sad yeah. apparently Nokia has killed off Engage yes thank goodness I mean, it sounded like a really good premise anyway it, it kind of reminded me of the the Gizmondo do you remember the Gizmondo oh yeah, yeah it kind of reminded me of that um, when it came out with the GPS and the functionality that it was supposed to have but it was always a phone trying to be a gaming device instead of a gaming device that was also a phone. Mm-hmm. It didn't really fit. Yeah, well, when you think of gaming, you don't think of Nokia anyway. You think 
first Nintendo, then you think Sony, and then if you go beyond that, you'll think like the iPod, Apple and their iPod or iPhone or whatever. But Nokia and Engage don't even really enter into the thought process when you're coming when you're thinking about mobile gaming. They were also looking at the wrong audience. Like um, at the time when they debuted the Engage, uh, phones weren't really terribly accessible to the younger crowd. And that's kind of what their audience was. Um, they should have gone for more of the casual gamer and some of maybe some uh, brain exercises. Uh, what is the the brain brain age type of games for mm-hmm. the older crowd? Uh, they shouldn't have tried to, to to put this as a hardcore gaming device, especially when it didn't have the power for it. Also, yeah. yeah well, there were no real major games for it. I think. I, there were times when I saw a couple of maybe EA titles for it that you can get on any other platform or anything. It had nothing exclusive that would make people want to go out and buy an Engage or after the original Engage was killed off and it, and it was just functionality made into their phones, it wouldn't make people want to go out and buy a Nokia phone. And I think that was probably the biggest problem. And they never could come out with anything that would win over gamers. I mean, I'm a, I collect game consoles, handhelds, consoles, you name it, and even I won't go near an Engage. It's it's a pointless device, and I guess also the 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 advertising around it was more of the device also instead of the other way around. When you hear about other consoles, it's more of the titles. Mm-hmm. And the emphasis was wrong. The marketing was wrong. This is a case of which they had no business and no experience doing what they did, and it just turned out the way uh, a way that the market speculated that they would fail because it's just a new market, and they just handled it handled it all wrong. Yeah, when when you have no experience in the gaming market, you shouldn't even mess with trying to get in. Yeah, but. Speaking of downtimes in the gaming market, apparently Nintendo's sales figures are have taken a substantial hit. Of, apparently they're projecting the first drop in sales for the first time in six years. It lost a drop of 52% over the same period last year. Yeah, I th- think it's probably because they've reached their saturation point for, for part of it. And uh, their value proposition has diminished with the price cuts on other consoles, even though they cut their prices too. Um, but when the uh, the power of their competition, I think that they lost a little bit of their longevity uh, to uh, the age of their console because it was already outdated when it first debuted. And I think um, when when you see how the other consoles have changed and evolved and gotten better features. Uh, the Wii is just the Wii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I don't know, I've got so many different thoughts about this floating around, it's hard to organize them all. But I think there's a couple of different factors here. One, it's a little bit of saturation. Two, once systems like the 360 and the PS3 now that they've come down to a reasonable price for the average consumer, they're a whole lot more likely to go with those systems, which in time are supposed to be able to have all the 
or sometime next year they'll be able to have all the special motion capabilities and everything, just like the Wii does. Plus, in the case of the PS3, you got a Blu-ray player. Plus, with the Xbox and soon to be the PS3, you'll have Netflix and you've got HD video coming from those, which the Wii can't even do anything HD. Yet. Yeah, supposedly there's rumors of an HD Wii coming next year, but considering they keep saying no, I'm going to go with I'll believe it when I see it on that one. Some rumors I believe, that's not one of them. But there's there's just no real reason to get a Wii. I mean, the Wii, the whole motion thing was kind of a gimmick anyway. So that, And it was basically just a reason for them to continue to come out with underpowered hardware and crappy kitty games. Which, as far as I'm concerned, that's pretty much what Nintendo's become, is basically a, a company with kitty games that are just focused on kids and they just kind of said the heck with real gamers. And health monitors. They have health monitors, too. Yeah, so they get the fitness crowd, but the fitness crowd and video games don't really go along together, <laughs> which is something I don't think they really thought into too what too much. Yeah, the, the, it's, a, it's a shame. I think they just started resting on their loyal, laurels. I mean, it was a runaway hit. And they just rode the wave instead of, um, you know, pounding it and pounding it and pounding it and making it better, better, better. Um, they would have small little upgrades where it allows you to, you know, use your SD card as storage and stuff like that. But, yeah, nothing much. Nothing earth-shattering. I mean, just peripherals just came out. Nothing, no really momentum firmware upgrades to add any real features. Yeah, I mean, they could do a lot with it. I mean, the the fact that they don't have HD in it is a real issue, but they can do stuff like with it, like make it at least be able to play DVDs. I mean, there's some homebrew hacks out there that'll allow you to play DVDs on your Wii, yet they won't officially support any kind of functionality like that, and whenever new homebrew stuff comes out, they try and kill it anyway. But why you kill off DVD playback is kind of stupid. That's one of those things you just should have implemented from day one anyway. I think they didn't want to pay the MPEG-2 royalty for decode of uh, DVDs. That's at least when during development, that's what I heard. They just tried to make the console as cheap as possible. Well, I can kind of tell that from the lack (laughs) of halfway decent hardware in it. And it's not even that much better than the GameCube. And you got to realize their their build cost is probably down to fifty bucks to produce that console, if that much, because of the of how much they're mass producing. Yeah, I know. At one point, they were like making six bucks a console. The 360 was breaking even, and the PS3 was still losing money. But I don't know exactly what that is now. I know that they're now in second place in terms of sales because now that the PS3 is at a halfway decent price. They outsold the Wii by 29,000 units, and that was even after the fact that the Wii dropped their price 50 bucks. So that kind of shows you now that the whole value proposition has finally kind of kicked in. And they're also really down in terms of DS sales, as, as I believe, I think the DS is still number one, but last month or whatever, they only outsold the PSP by 32,000 units, and it used to be they would outsell it by 100,000 units or more per month, which 
that one I would say, considering how many units of that they're selling, that's probably more a case of saturation more than anything else. Although I don't know now if the new DSi that was announced out in Japan, the DSi XL or whatever, which seems to be a flawed concept to me, but I don't know. Have you seen the new DSi that they've announced? Uh, you mean there's a revision on the old DSi? Yes. No, I haven't. Yeah, the DSi that they just came out with us a couple of months ago, yeah. Um, well, apparently, from what I've seen, it's basically just supposed to be bigger. A slightly. Oh, bigger. I've heard of it, yeah, 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 for the older crowds, yeah. Yeah, slightly bigger, bigger screen, stuff like that, which kind of sounds like they're going backwards. I mean, when they had the DS come out, it was fairly decent size. Then they came out with the DS Lite, and it reduced the size quite a bit, which, from what I can tell, the DSi and the DS Lite size are about the same. And now with this DSi XL or LL or whatever it is, then now it's gone back up to a larger size, kind of like what the DS is, except it's got a larger size screen, which why you'd want to go with a larger size screen on an established basic games and stuff is beyond me. And when everything's wanting to be smaller, kind of fit in your pocket and convenient, I don't see why you'd want to go for something larger for a portable device. It's just, it's another one of those things that just doesn't make any sense coming out of Nintendo. Yeah. Sounds like a... They're more trying to rejigger what they have instead of doing some some real innovation. Um, I, I guess with it worked out with the Wii. It was just an old package and uh, good content for the for what it was, uh, but not much of uh, innovation, which is something you do see from the other competitors. And I think that's just catching up with them. Yeah, I'll, what I predicted a long time ago, back when the they were getting re- when they hadn't yet announced the Wii. I said that basically the generation of consoles for around the Wii generation was kind of do or die for Nintendo. And after the horrible mess that was the GameCube, it was bas- the Wii was basically their last real shot. And considering how much they've sales have fallen off, they're projected to drop even farther. And now that people are starting to wake up and realize this was all just kind of a gimmick to get you to buy underpowered, more profitable hardware, I think this was just kind of a um, a band-aid on a much larger wound. And this may have bought them enough time to get to the next generation of console. But in the end, I've got a feeling that we may not see Nintendo around in five years. Really? Oh, that's bold. Yeah, I I think that they could probably still stay relevant in the handheld market, but in terms of regular gaming consoles, I just don't see it. Well, handhelds are being threatened right now with uh with the iPhone and uh even with Android really getting out there on multiple devices, uh that that could be threatened too. Um I so I can see it 5 years, but as I said, it's getting beyond ingenuity and more about innovation. So they're going to have to try to change the game somehow and make themselves more relevant other than being gimmicky. Um, because they could, you mean, the motion was really cool for its day, uh, 
But we're at the point where everybody's mimicking that. So they need to find either the next big gimmick or to actually do some real innovation to change the face of gaming. Yeah. I want some virtual reality or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> well, at least in terms of like the iPod or iPhone, I, one reason I don't think it'll ever be taken seriously as a gaming device is because of the touchscreen. And you can't get like the finite controls and stuff with a touchscreen that you can with like a PSP when you've got the regular D-pad and the joystick and actual buttons. You don't get that tactile feedback and everything that you kind of want and need with a game. I don't know. Do you have an iPhone or iPod Touch or anything? Uh, I just purchased a Tilt 2. Uh, my wife has an iPhone, um, but that's about it, yeah. But I understand what you mean. If you want to get an idea for just how bad gaming is on the iPhone, go download Duke Nukem. The Duke Nukem 3D or whatever. Try it out on the controls on that. There's two different control schemes. You can try them both. It is horrible. Yeah, yeah. The closest thing to a decent control scheme I've seen is Doom. Doom has a decent control scheme. But you try and play something, even like an old game like Duke Nukem 3D, and the experience is unplayable. And I, I think that's just a problem inherent with touchscreen when you don't have the regular buttons and the tactile feedback. Right, but the question is, does it need to be ideal to beat them, or does it just need to be adequate enough and get a mass adoption to have people not buy the Nintendo solution? And I think we're close to that. And then when you look at Android that has hardware buttons, no hardware buttons, you know, touchscreen, not touchscreen, uh, and has some of the same capability, I think they're they're fighting a battle on two fronts. Yeah, they've certainly got issues ahead of them. I'm kind of curious to see how Android turns out in terms of a gaming platform. It seems to be showing up on a ton of different phones now. So I'm kind of curious to see how much support that's going to get from the gaming community. Because the gaming community doesn't seem to be paying much attention to it, but then again, part of that could be the fact that there seems to be very little money to be made in the Android marketplace. I know... I think I don't know. I think we may have even talked about it on the show. The top apps and like in the top ten apps were, if they were lucky, averaging like seventy bucks a day. Which I think that's just part of the whole mobile market kind of drying up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But anyway, on to the next story. We've spent enough time on that, although we're still running fairly short. So, mm-hmm. um, speaking of annoying things. Uh, apparently, have you ever wondered just how much boot um, boot time is increased by all the bloatware that manufacturers add on their computers? Yes, I have. What do you think it is? Well, depending on your manufacturer, it can be over two minutes with all the bloatware. Wow, that's significant. Yeah, apparently with the bloatware that you can find on an Acer computer your boot time is increased by two minutes and one second. Of course, all these um, times are compared to a clean install of Windows. Uh, on an HP machine, it's increased by about a minute 35, Dell by 52 seconds, and Sony by a minute and 54 seconds. And that's not even counting how annoying it is as to how much space they use up. Like with the case of Acer, it's using up 2.4 gigs worth of your hard drive, HP is 2.18, Dell 3 gigabytes of your hard drive and Sony at 1.3 gigabyte of your hard drive. 
Right. And uh, don't forget the memory footprint. These are all close to one gig of memory that's going to be taken up by uh, by these applications on on load. So uh, if you get shipped with four gigs of RAM, that's twenty five percent of your memory that's being taken up by this bloatware. Bloatware. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I mean, I build all my computers myself anyway. I re- I install uh, clean installs of window and every Windows and everything, so I don't have to worry about this, but when I do have to get a computer for like my mother or something like that, or if I'm having to set up computers for family members, the very first thing I do is all the bloatware comes off. Every single bit of it. That way I have a halfway usable system for installing everything like antivirus and stuff onto. Yeah, um, one shining light is that the Microsoft Store, at least the lone one they have so far, is selling what they call signature PCs that won't have this bloatware on them, uh, which I'm guessing they'll probably have to pay the extra money that um, uh, because they'll be losing the royalty uh, from having the bloatware on the system. Yeah, from what I've understood in the past, apparently PC manufacturers make around 50 bucks per computer on the bloatware that they install on the computer. That that's what I've heard in the past. So I would assume yeah. that Microsoft is throwing in that fifty bucks or whatever to offset that cost, just so there's none of that bloatware on there. And even then, I would assume there's probably still trial versions of Office and stuff on there. I would I would assume. Yeah. Uh, well, you would you would guess from Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah, it is Microsoft Store after all. Yeah. But the good thing is. Some of that stuff, at least it doesn't load on boot up and hopefully it doesn't take up too much of uh, the boot time and memory footprint on execution. I, I usually, I'm like you, when I get a brand new computer, first thing I would do was wipe the, wipe the system and reload from the disk. But now they have those stupid system disks that are individually tailored for the OEMs and that put the bloatware on them right from the disk. Yeah, that's why I always keep a few extra spare Windows CDs that don't have any of that laying around. Mm-hmm. And I've got some Windows 7 disks laying around. I've got Windows Vista disks I've never used that are laying around. I've got XP disks, some that I've never used that are laying around somewhere. I haven't seen them in a couple of years, but they're around somewhere. But that that's what I do is I prefer to have my own fresh install on it. The only thing that irritates me is when I do that, especially this more is more of the case with laptops, is that a lot of them they require the special manufacturer's software and stuff for using things like the touchpads. I've noticed those are really picky. Is is you have to have their special drivers and software and stuff for the touchpads, and a lot of times same with webcams too, and that's really annoying. Uh, yeah, I use this thing called uh, Driver Wizard, and what it does is it extracts all those drivers. Um, and so I run Driver Wizard before I uh, overinstall or uh, reinstall. It'll it'll zip up all those drivers, those third-party drivers, and then when you uh, install the brand new OS to a clean install, you just 
pop that zip file and then have all the drivers be detected from that folder. It's it's awesome. Huh. I'll have to look into that because I've never I've never even heard of that program. Wait before. wait wait. It's called Driver Max. Driver, Driver Max. Driver Max. Yeah. Mm, okay. I'll have to look into that because I've never messed with anything like that before. Yeah, it's a lifesaver. Lifesaver. It's an awesome, awesome program. But, yeah. Well, speaking of somewhat sad and annoying news, are you somebody that? wears holsters with all their gadgets and cell phones and stuff on your hips? I wear my phone on a holster. Yeah, I I do that the same thing. I don't put it on my belt. I have mine hanging from my pocket. But apparently, according to new research, the whole having cell phone holsters around your hip is apparently bad for bone density and can reduce the density of your hip bones. Yeah, I also wear my put my wallet in my back pocket, which is not supposed to be good either. Yeah, I don't know about that. I always keep mine in my front pocket. I, I just don't like the feeling that I'm sitting on something. Yeah, it, it's just which uncomfortable. is good. Good for you. It's it's not supposed to be comfortable because you're not supposed to be doing it. Yeah, well, I need to go back into the chiropractor anyway, so I get don't I guess it doesn't matter too much. Right. And that was after my trip there on Friday, but anyway. Apparently, I guess, if you're going to be carrying your cell phones around on your waist, probably wouldn't need to get some of the, like that Citrical or something like that to <laughs> help fight bone loss. Yeah, you might have to start having using those chewables to get your calcium. Yeah, it doesn't sound like there's a... The way they make it sound is that it doesn't sound like a definitive link, but it sounds like a probable link that the electromagnetic fields emitted by the cell phones are uh, harmful to bone density. Yeah, the question is, at what proximity? Because if you have this in your pocket, not just the holster, wherever you have your phone on your person, unless you have it in a man bag or purse, um, it's still going to affect you, just in a different part of your body, right? Yeah. Well, I've always kind of wondered how the cell phones would affect you. I mean, I, I know there's been studies saying that it's not going to give you brain cancer and whatever. But I've always kind of wondered, does it affect your bones, your internal organs? Does it affect your abil- ability to have children? I mean, stuff like that just kind of goes through my mind when the power goes out. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess if you're wanting to avoid any hip replacements in the near future, maybe you should just avoid carrying your cell phone along your waist. Yeah, so go ahead and get a Merce. Yeah. Or just be like me and throw everything in a laptop bag and make sure your laptop's in there so you can call it a a laptop bag and you don't have to worry about calling it a man purse. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, that's all of our stories. We also have the tip of the week, which... I actually kind of like this one more than most tips, but this is one off a of Life Hacker, where apparently they've got ten top apps for boosting your media center. Uh, they've got everything from some apps that'll help you with get your album art for your music, to removing ads that are automatically recorded in TV, I guess for whenever you're recording them on your media center or whatever. Oh, that's cool. And there's apps for boosting Boxy with repositories and feeds. Speaking of Boxy, 
the new um, 3.0 update for Apple TV apparently disables Boxy or wipes it out completely or whatever. And last I heard, I haven't seen any updates as to if Boxy's been able to get it back on there or not. So and the new the new iTunes update disabled syncing with the pre. Yeah, I've, I kind of forgot to mention that particular saga, but. Yeah, if you're a Boxy fan, don't update to the 3.0 yet until you hear from Boxy people that it's safe. Which I believe you can follow just at Boxy on Twitter and that'll always tell you when there's changes to stuff like that. But anyway, um, there's also apps for renaming files for easier detection, a plug-in for Hulu for the Windows Media Center, some stuff for easily ripping DVDs, scheduling TV recording from any browser, media center remotes from your phone or iPod Touch, uh, making your your router more media friendly, and of course probably one of my favorites, converting and transferring tracks to your portable player, which for some reason I seem to have major issues with. So, if there's anybody that has issues with Bada Boom on Windows 7 with an, with an NVIDIA card and the latest graphics drivers and stuff, or if you've had issues like that where it's constantly crashing and doesn't work and figured out how to fix it, let me know. I would love to use this program. I spent, what is it, 20 bucks for 20, 30 bucks for it, and I can't seem to get it to work because it continually crashes on me for some stupid reason. Or, or well, the way it looks like it, is, it seems to crash the graphics driver itself for some reason, no matter what version of drivers I use. So it's wow, really... this looks awesome. I'm seeing this Hulu desktop integration for Media Center. I am mm-hmm. definitely going to get on this. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I thought I might... That might be one of the ones I do too, but then again, I don't do ever do anything with Hulu because I torrent everything I really want anyway. But I use it for SGU. Ah, uh, how do you? How are you liking that so far? I'm liking it okay. It seems a little uh, drawn out for some parts, but you know what? The, so initially they were out of air, and they got air. Well, then they're out of power. They got power, and then they're out of water. And they got water. So what next? Food? They're gonna be out of food. And then after they're, you know, they find a, they fix all these problems, and hopefully we'll actually get into some real content. Yeah, it's just kind of getting annoying that it's like each week they run out of a different necessary resource. Yeah. It's just kind Oh of... no, the bathroom's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of waiting for that one. But, I don't know, I, I'm not a real big fan of the casting that they did. There's a couple of characters that I think were casted well, but most of them I could probably do without. So, let me tell you one flaw that usually happens when they when a Stargate team runs across ancient technology mm-hmm. they usually go through the database like nobody's business and start reading off all this other stuff about you know, hey it's been here, it's ran into this and this is a new technology it did and this is how we repair the ship and these kind of minerals and all that stuff there hasn't really been any exploration of the ship itself like when you think of Atlantis they found all these cool gadgets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, it's just been Kinos and uh, this weird shower thing, and that's about it. Uh, there's only one thing that will make me happy at the end of this whatever run of... I don't care how many seasons it runs for. 
I want to see the furlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a feeling it won't be around for... I'll be surprised if it gets a second season, to be honest. Yeah, well, I haven't seen any numbers, but I know that the first show got really good ratings. I know the first show's going to, but I think after that point everybody realized, this isn't very good. Why yeah. are we watching this? Yeah. But I think at the beginning everybody just kind of tuned in because it was a new Stargate show and they wanted to see what it was about. Because supposedly it, it's meant to be more of a darker Battlestar Galactica type feeling. Except yeah. compared to Battlestar Galactica, it just sucks. I, I do have to agree, it is getting worse. Mm-hmm. But it's and not getting better. But I think my uh, threshold of putting up with it is a little higher than most people because I'm a die-hard Stargate fan. Uh, I, I, I just I have hope that they'll pull it out. Yeah, I, I've I've been watching it in hopes that it gets better, but it doesn't seem to. It's it just seems to be staying about as bad as it was to start with. I think. Yeah, but. I don't know. Need to have some kind of a incident with a timeline or something like that, where all of a sudden <laughs> all of the characters get changed to actually well casted characters, or something like that. Then I would be happy. But anyway, um, don't forget to check out the Global Geek News blog, globalgeeknews.com/blog, or you can always just go to Global Geek News where. where and hit blog, but globalgeeknews.com is where you will find everything in the show notes so you can check out all of the stories that we covered today and of course we continue coverage on the Global Geek News blog and don't forget to follow us on Twitter at which is at Global Geek News you can follow me on Twitter which is at PCNerd37 you can follow Wesley on Twitter which is at Wesley83 and and don't, don't forget to go to the fan page and fan us there yes Please fan us on the Facebook page so that we eventually we can get enough fans so we can get a custom URL. Because apparently you have to have so many fans before a fan page can have a custom URL, just like a normal Facebook page. Okay, seems a little strange to me. I kind of understand some thinking behind it, but I guess that's just the way it's got to be. So please fan up on the Facebook page, and you'll always kind of know what's going on with the show, the blog, and everything on there. And can you think of anything else? Nope, that's all. Okie doke. Well, don't forget to leave any of your comments or suggestions either um, in the comments section for the show. You can always shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. If you'd like to advertise on the show, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. And if you happen to have any suggestions for my piracy-related podcast, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Or you can just shoot me the idea on Twitter or stick it in the comments or whatever. I really don't care. But anyway, we will be back next week. We will see you guys later.